This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv, an unmatched dual threat. Hello and welcome to Here's Where Went Wrong. I am Andrew Nadeau and this is our very first episode that we're recording after we've been approved. Uh, the first two we just kind of did hoping something would happen here. So thank you guys very much for sticking with us. I'm here with my good friend Wen Powers. Wen, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. We're approved. We're going to get this thing on the road. Let's, uh, let's party, man. Yeah, so uh, this is our first history episode, which I'm very excited about to uh, talk about nerd stuff, and then go right back to nerd movies. Yeah, I was about to say, uh, you didn't consider Batman and Robin to be nerd stuff? <laughs> no, that, that that is high art there. Uh, so, no, this is, is great. Wen and I are both here uh, in Chicago right now. When how has Chicago been for you? Oh, man. So we're recording this, like, it's been like two weeks since we recorded our last episode. We're supposed to record last week, and then a tornado hit Chicago for the first time, and, like, I, I, I don't even know the last time, like, at least you know it hasn't happened since i lived here so at least five years or so i did not know it could happen so i mean you've been here longer than i am but i i didn't know it was a real thing i got the warning and i was like okay but really and yeah apparently tornado hit so yeah i've been walking through the park and you know trees torn down upended it's it's a lot and when has not had internet no no so i so i'm from tennessee i no tornadoes. Tornadoes coming through during the summer is something that I just kind of like brush off at this point. Sure. Uh, so like when a tornado, I heard a tornado was coming through, I was just like, okay, yeah, fine, whatever, you know, it, it'll, it'll be, it'll most likely be okay. And then like the city's just not prepared for that because it's just something that doesn't no. happen. And it also made me realize that like, yeah, well, if Tennessee got hit with an inch of snow, the entire state would shut down. Like they're just prepared for two different levels of, of natural disasters here. So uh, yeah, that was a, that was a learning experience for me. I didn't have internet. Uh, I had to fight them to uh, actually fix it and uh, not make me pay like a hundred bucks for a new modem that broke on their watch. So you know, it's a it's a good time, but it was had by all. And yeah, that was that was the real loss here. I assume other bad things happen, but uh, when losing his internet has been the talk of Chicago. Yeah. Okay. I don't. Yeah, people lost their homes. People lost. I saw roofs get blown off entire apartment buildings. But have you had to watch a DVD in the past five years? It is <laughs> brutal. It's it's rough. It's a lot. 
So we are, are very excited to be back here and uh, recording again. And we're talking about history episodes. And uh, I wanted to talk about the same thing I always want to talk about, uh, which is the history of the marine chronometer. Uh, I want to bully knows, that's you just, so bad right now. I know. <laughs> it's always excited about this. It just seemed that unlikely that the other two people in the world that would care about this are also our listeners. Uh, so, and also, you know, there, there a lot went wrong, but it's mostly a positive story, and ours has to be a disaster. Andrew, can I just say real quick, we got approved and you went drunk with power immediately. <laughs> And oh, we're, we're, we're going to do we're approved. Great. I'm going to do the most boring thing I can possibly think <laughs> of for our third episode. It is fascinating. And look, just because we have to ease you guys into disaster. I'm going to talk about the marine chronometer a little bit. When is a check? I can see please, his eyes glazing please over. Please enlighten me, Andrew. Enlighten me with the marine chronometer. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so here's the thing. You remember with space? not remember personally, but the space race in the, the 40s and, and 50s and 60s. Uh yeah, USA, we won. It was basically that. It's, yeah, I, but it was a big thing for the world. It was basically that for about 200 years to make a watch that worked on a boat. Why was it so hard to make watches work on boats? And if <laughs> so, you say, I don't know, part, I will stop recording this episode right now. <laughs> I, I am so ready for this. So here's the thing. Most of, of the clocks at this time are pendulum clocks. The combination between the, the shift in the, the heat, cold, which makes metal expand and contract, barometric pressure, moisture levels, difference in gravity in different parts of the world, they just could not get this working. And of course, the rocking of the boat messed with the pendulums. Uh, so this was, this was a huge thing, so much so that there was, uh, in 1714, a board of longitude was established with a prize of 20,000 pounds, which is equivalent to One time. millions Sorry? I said one ton. One <laughs> ton. Yes. That's when it's so helpful on this one. You're welcome. So they, uh, if 20,000 pounds, if you can get, uh, so the way this is going to, to work is that they can figure out latitude uh, by stars, by the sun. They, this, it's, it's math. Look at the sky. They've got this down. Uh, longitude, they cannot do. They keep trying star charts. They are desperate. Uh, alchemists have gotten in on this with the powder of sympathy, which um, is sympathetic magic. Uh, powder of sympathy works. You're talking like purely in D and D terms right now. This is this is all real life. So this like happens. alchemy, like the, I'm going to turn dirt into gold. People, they were like, we got the we got the the sea we, watch we figured this. out. Right. So powder of well, because it was all about longitude. Powder of sympathy. They uh, was sympathetic magic. If you've got a cut, you take either the weapon that caused it or the bandage around it. You dip it in this powder and the cut heals. Um, How did that work? It How is did a, that work out? This, <laughs> not great, but they managed to sell it for a long time. Fair enough. So the thought here was basically if they could determine what time it was on the prime meridian back in England, uh, they could figure out where they are now. Good question. Uh, sorry, sorry sure. I'm, I'm fascinated by this uh, powder of sympathy. It is fascinating. So they were like the essential oils <laughs> of the day, right? It, it, that's exactly People what People that was. you went to high school with back in the 1700s were just like, hey, uh, I'm looking for some boss babes to uh, want to <laughs> want to sell some uh, healing sympathy powders. Yeah, you, you know what? You'll run your own business. You're your own boss. It was a big thing. So the theory here is you can take a dog on the boat. And of course, powder of sympathy, obviously, when you dip the bandage into the powder, it's going to hurt, uh, as one would assume. Of course. So uh, you take a dog that has been cut onto the boat, 
and then you dip a knife or the bandage into the powder back in England at noon, and the dog will bark because it hurts. And that will tell them it's noon back in England, and they can tell what it is by the sun where they are and figure out what their longitude is. This is the current solution <laughs> to the longitude problem. This is incredible because I'm just like, how many people died? Like, how many boats full of sailors just died? <laughs> Because the bark, a lot. The I mean, dog was... barked at two o'clock. <laughs> well, that's it. This was tried, but it's not like it was working, and they could tell it wasn't working. But you know, alchemists had some stuff going for it. People believed them. So, 1714, they get to, together this uh, board of longitude. We're going to give you all a couple million dollars, twenty thousand pounds back then. If someone could just make a clock that works on a boat, <laughs> so this takes John Harrison, a carpenter, uh, to solve it because no horologist could do this. And it's, uh, he starts out with this one that is 75 pounds and is multiple feet across the H1. And it actually works pretty well. The thing is, it cannot be off by more than three seconds a day, uh, which land watches don't do. Uh, to, to prove it works, it has to be able to last six weeks and be within half a degree, uh, which is 34 miles. Any more than three seconds a day, you're going to be outside that range and not win the 20,000 pounds. So he's actually doing it. He's pretty well, doing pretty well with his H1, his first model, uh, but he's a perfectionist. It's not good enough for him. So it takes him 40 years uh, until he finally realizes that basically a pocket watch is a better design. So he builds this when is so excited. Oh right my now. God, are you telling me, are you telling me that all this happened, they went through all of these things and what they managed to do was just be like, have you ever thought about bringing your pocket watch on the boat? <laughs> No, it was a really specific pocket watch. It had a, a brilliant design, and I mean, it had to counter all of the elements still, but it ended up being this five-inch, three-pound thing that took him 40 years to create, and horologists were pissed um, because he's a carpenter. I mean, he's brilliant. He studies on his own, but he, he didn't learn uh, through you know their teachings, so they don't want to give him the money. Eventually, the king intervenes and insists that he gets paid. He still doesn't get the full 20000 but he's he's doing pretty okay. Get the Finnegan's gift uh, card. <laughs> he's doing all right. He finally gets paid three months before he died. But ultimately, it is this story of triumph. And that is the story of the marine chronometer, the story I wanted to talk about for three to four more hours. And when what rightly said, this is a terrible idea. That was a terrible idea. However, I will talk for three hours about dog clocks. <laughs> about the dog clock, which, I mean, I, I appreciate just the absolute stupidity. They were so desperate. They're like, you know what? Let's try the dog clock. Maybe that's going to work. Let's cut a dog. Like, that, that, part, that part I don't <laughs> like. That part I hate, actually. I wish they didn't hurt the dog. And I especially hate that they were trying to use essential oils to make a clock out of a dog. <laughs> Honestly, I would love, like, a John Wick, Bill and Ted crossover where he just goes back in time. For, to, to beat up all of the people that have hurt these dogs. <laughs> this is so elaborate. This joke cannot possibly No, they were, I'm cutting this joke as we speak. I'm editing this yeah. in real time and taking that horrible fucking joke out. <laughs> okay. I'm glad, glad Wet is on top of this. <laughs> so that, uh, that is the story of the marine chronometer, greatly condensed. And uh, this changed the way uh, of, of navigation, uh, of, of marine and maritime navigation for the world. And it did a lot of good, um, but that's not what our show is. We have to talk about where it went wrong. So uh, when, where did it go wrong? It went wrong on a little boat known as the Titanic. The Titanic. And uh, not, not many people know this, but there was actually a movie about it 
in the mid nineties. Uh, I think no, no big stars. Very, yet. very famous but, uh, for being a lot of people's first experience with, uh, breasts. Oh yeah. It was mine. Probably. It was, it right? was I mine. Mean, I was... And it, it came in those thick, uh, VHS tapes that you could build a fucking <laughs> house with. They were like, just right. So they were stacked up. It was a pack of two. So like the movie had an intermission, like you were seeing a Broadway play, but in a little TV in your, <laughs> in your playroom where you were kind of hiding the fact that you were watching Titanic for a scene that lasts two minutes. It was, yeah, it, it was a lot of effort and I'm going to say it well worth it. Um, it was, <laughs> so this, this uh, but we're not covering the movie. We're actually covering the history of the Titanic here. And we want to talk about the, some of the stuff that's not covered because we assume by now uh, you know about the iceberg. I've heard uh, of it. You, you've heard, you've heard of it. Yeah, it was a thing. Uh, you've heard about there not being enough ships. So I started looking into all of this, and um, like the only thing I love more than research is making charts and graphs about that research. I'm so glad. I, was... I'm so glad you're my co-host in this. <laughs> I'm, I'm like charts and graphs uh, translate well to a podcast format here, Andrew. <laughs> Look, I've got it in list form. It can be read off easily, but. I had a lot of fun researching this one. So let's start with some of the t history of the Titanic and how big a deal this was. When the Titanic launched, just pushed out into the water, uh, not even fully completed now, 100,000 people came to watch. That was your entertainment back then. That was, that was, it was huge. This was the largest movable man-made object in the world, and people went nuts for it. Uh, yeah, this was the equivalent of the movie Titanic. So... Let's get into this. They've got this ship, uh, which everyone is insane for. It's the White Star Line is the company who owned the Titanic. And uh, they had this big comfort over speed design. It could go pretty fast, but they wanted it to be the first real luxury experience. Well, they had a couple other boats, too, but the best of the luxury experiences. Hey, guess what, nerd? I remember that the other boat was called the Olympic. So... <laughs> it <laughs> I like that, that you called me the nerd before <laughs> announcing the name. <laughs> you know this too, when <laughs> No, no, I'm just, I'm just too proud to admit that I'm uh, right. just as nerdy as you to an audience of 10 people listening to this. It's, I, I honestly think by now we will have a huge audience. People cannot get enough of this. People love episode three. Is... That's when they all come aboard. They heard, <laughs> they heard maritime chronometer there we go. and they just, let's do it. <laughs> and they were hooked. So the sister ship, as Wen mentioned, the Olympic, was actually part of the problem because the sister ship was hit by a warship and it had that same design, uh, the separate hulls uh, or the compartments uh, that, that supposedly up to four of them could be flooded and the ship wouldn't sink. It had 16 separate compartments and Olympic was hit by a warship coming out of the dock and just kept going. Uh, so that was it. Everyone's like, oh, okay, so the Titanic is, is cool then. If the Olympic can do it, the Titanic can do yeah, it. Yeah, so it's unsinkable is what they're trying to tell people. This is the unsinkable Absolutely. Ship. And they, for the most part, believe it. They really do not see this as an issue here. Yeah, but I'm just so, saying calling it that it's kind of like a fuck you to God, it's your right? Fate. Right. <laughs> it's like, honestly, if you put that into a movie, had it not been real life, you're like, Okay, this ship is going to sink. Yeah, yeah, if I had seen that movie now and somebody was just like, oh, the Titanic is the unsinkable ship. I think they even say not even God could sink this ship. <laughs> and like, I'm just and like, I'm just like nudging people just like, eh? Like eh? this ship is, yeah. <laughs> it's going <laughs> to sink. Something bad is about to happen. So they've got these 16 watertight compartments, uh, which seems like a great idea. And here's the thing with the Titanic. 
almost all of it was like, oh yeah, this was a good idea, except for where it went wrong. Uh, so we're going to talk more about how these compartments ended up being an issue later on. But we've also got how the ship was built. Uh, this is the biggest ship in the world. And uh, that means there wasn't really space for it in the shipyards. Uh, so this is held together with three million rivets. Rivets that, for a ship like this, you would use steel, except steel can only be inserted with uh, this specific hydraulic machine, uh, which can't fit around the ship in the shipyard. So instead, they're putting in these three million rivets by hand and using wrought iron. Um, and wrought iron makes slag, uh, just this cast-off ingredient. Uh, when is no? I, mean, I was actually going to mention the slag. Actually, I my wife were you? Did you have slag? Yeah, no, content? no. My wife, my wife is an architect, and I actually did do research for this episode, and so she walked me through what <laughs> slag meant. <laughs> Good. Do so you want to break down slag for the audience here? I mean, basically, uh, so what you normally do is steel rivets. So that's like a pure metal. It's a pure metal. Well, what they did was that they kind of used just cheaper materials for these three million rivets. And by making cheaper materials, by using a, an inferior steel product, uh, they got a lot of crud in, in the rivets uh, called slag, which basically weakens them. Once you get slag in those rivets, they become weaker. They become easier to bust. Uh, and basically the hole is not nearly as secure as it would be if they actually used the inferior pure steel rivets. That is exactly what happened, and it, it makes them brittle. And you know what also makes things brittle is cold, like sailing in an ocean that is below freezing. Uh, so the rivets are not in great shape to start with. And uh, there's a lot of commentary about things went went wrong. There's also a lot of people say, you know what? It was pretty much the iceberg. The iceberg was going to do it no matter what. I mean, the iceberg was the biggest obstacle the ship had to overcome, for sure. It was it, was it right. Like, it would have been fine without, without the iceberg, but we really don't know uh, how much of an issue it was. So we've got the ship. It, it's glorious. It's beautiful inside. It actually is put together pretty well. They've just got a, a few mistakes. Uh... And uh, here, so here's the second part where, where it went wrong. Um, there is a mining strike going on. So the Titanic, borrowing from other ships, has just enough coal uh, to get it to America. And uh, then 10 days before they ship out, a fire starts in the coal room. Oh, wow. And <laughs> they... Uh, they can't, but by the way, when fire starts in the courtroom, it's often deep down. You don't even notice it for a while. Um, but it was enough to uh, to turn one of the hull walls red hot. And uh, so it burned for the 10 days before they set sail, and then they set sail with it still burning. Wait, what? Yeah, that was still burning in the courtroom. Wait, wait, wait. So a fire broke out. They couldn't put it out. And they said, shut the door load up the guests and just like acted like it didn't happen. Yeah. Well, I mean, fires happened in courtrooms enough, but it was also, this was, this had the richest, most powerful people in the world. It could not leave a day late. No matter what happened, the ship was going to go out. Yeah. But like, did you read like murders in the Rue more? Right. Where like the big twist at the end was that like an orangutan shoved a body up a chimney <laughs> because it was embarrassed. Like, that's that's like the twist that you're giving me right now, that a fire broke out and they were just like, 
embarrassed and they're like, let's just not talk about the fire. That was exactly it. In fact, during uh, the questioning afterwards that to determine who was, who was at fault here, they wouldn't let them talk about it. One of the firefighters on board uh, after like uh, 11 petitions was finally allowed to speak about it. I mean, it was 11 days. Either way, he pushed hard. He finally got to talk about it. And they finally said, probably not that big a deal. <laughs> probably didn't have anything to do with it. Look, the fire, I mean, who's to say? Right. <laughs> so this is in fact going to come back later, but they set sail uh, with this fire still burning. And uh, they have uh, 20 lifeboats, enough for 52% of the passengers and zero lifeboat drills. And now I know everyone has heard about the lifeboats at this point. So here's what I looked into about it, how they got away with this. And by the way, this is a time period where they're like, you have a cough, try doing heroin about it. It's... <laughs> It's it's not like they were super concerned with safety. True, true. This is this is back when like Coca Cola had cocaine in it. Right, so. exactly. And yeah, and cough medicines were just full of whatever it could. You know, they, basically they wanted you. I mean, you know, if your throat's numb, you're not coughing. So whatever if, works. If if your wife is mad at you, they tell her to masturbate it out. So. <laughs> Honestly, not not the worst plan, but still not good, like, doctoring. Right, we're not super far from the, the dog powder solution here to solving these problems. <laughs> the dog watch. Exactly. So here's the thing, though. In uh, 1894, the Board of Trade sets the rule for how many uh, lifeboats have to be on, on board. The rule is 16 for any ships over 10,000 tons, because that's about as big as ships get. The biggest one at this time is 13,000 tons. Uh, and then comes in the Titanic at 46,000 tons, and the Board of Trade is just like, no, that's the same thing. That yeah, I'll be honest, that's a that's a lot. That's it, a lot of tons. It is, and they're like, well, we're not going to, we got to go and erase stuff and write in new rules. We're not doing that. So same rules, 16 lifeboats, and, uh, and, and they decide, well, you know what, we're going to be safe. We're going to put in 20 lifeboats and save almost half the people if we fill them right, which, of course, they don't. Of course not. And here's the thing. So uh, J. Bruce Ismay is the highest-ranked official at White Star. He's actually on the ship at this time, and he's the one that makes the final call. And uh, he says it's going to worry people. It's going to look crowded on the deck. Um, this is not... I mean, obviously, it ended up being the terrible thing that happened, but it wasn't the horrific uh, neglect that it seemed at the time because lifeboats weren't... They were just supposed to ferry you to the other ship. Ships didn't... This wasn't supposed to be possible to go down quickly. This was going to sink over two days if it ever sank. The the lifeboats just take you to the savior ship. You don't float out okay, there. Okay, so yeah, so basically, what like the plan is is just like oh, so if the boat starts sinking, well then we have plenty of time to do, make multiple trips exactly to save everybody. So here's the thing with Jay Bruce Ismay. He is one of the people that worked uh, for the the company or worked on the ship that survived. He got on the last last lifeboat. Pretty much everyone else was like no women and children. Uh, and he said, well, there weren't any women and children left. <laughs> I was like, dude, we're going to find the bodies. <laughs> Jay Bruce, what a piece of shit. <laughs> right. So, and, but here was the big thing that happened to Jay Bruce Ismay. Shortly before all of this, he had a falling out with William Randolph Hearst, the newspaper magnate. And uh, Hearst is about as well known for being a newspaper magnate as he is for being a petty bitch. <laughs> <laughs> So, so Ismay survives and Hearst just skewers him. Like every newspaper article is like, hey, the Titanic sank, but check out this guy who didn't. <laughs> <laughs> 
You should have gone down with the ship, Exactly. And so he's, again, not the worst guy. He spent his life paying out insurance to the families. I would love to think that Hearst is, like, the sports columnist, and he's just (laughs) like, you know what was worse than the Yankees today? Uh, Jay Jay Bruce Bruce and the Titanic. (laughs) I mean, that is essentially how Hearst planned it. It's like, let's just put him in absolutely everywhere we can. From tight muscles, tough workouts, signs of aging, to simply making it through each busy day, everyone understands what it feels like to be tense and sore, so everyone can benefit from TheraOne's CBD products. Started by Dr. Jason Wersland, TheraBody exists to provide you with the best scientifically validated natural solutions to help soothe your body and relax your mind. It started with the revolutionary Theragun percussive therapy device when Dr. Jason saw the benefits of using CBD in his treatments. He created TheraOne to bring your CBD products done right. A lot of CBD products claim organic but still contain up to 30% filler, and these fillers are potentially toxic. TheraOne tests their products four times before they get to you. Every product is USDA certified organic, grown in the US, and their CBD extracts are the highest of quality available anywhere. Use TheraOne's warming lotion in your morning routine, the cooling lotion or massage oil to recover, body balm for targeted relief, and sleep tincture to drift into a deep night's sleep. And now, through Labor Day, Monday, September 7th, TheraOne is offering our listeners a buy one, get one free for all TheraOne products. You've got to go to theragun.com slash bluewire. If you don't love what you get from TheraOne, send it back for a full refund within 30 days of purchase. This is not something TheraOne is likely to do again. Buy one, get one free at theragun.com slash bluewire, but only until Labor Day. Go right now to theragun.com slash bluewire. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live, out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. Plus, Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels, you will never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. And uh, so, yeah, so Ismay is, is destroyed here, which he, he wasn't the worst, but I don't feel too bad about it either because, come on, man, just get it together. You sunk the Titanic, or at least you had too big a hand in it. So we've covered now why uh, they don't have enough lifeboats uh, because they could get away with it, and that's where a lot of this stuff happened. It was like, this is this should be fine, but it's not going to be okay. <laughs> Wow, a slow motion disaster. I'm glad things haven't changed. <laughs> well, that's exactly it. The here's where it went wrong on this are are so many specific points um, where it was just these one little things where it's like, oh, you should have done this better. Like, for example, a lot of the, the people working on the ship were not professional sailors. They were just people they hired. Uh, John Coffey uh, survived the Titanic uh, because uh, he got off in Queenstown, Ireland. You know, they boarded in England. They had two shop stops in Cherbourg and uh, Queenstown, and he just wanted to hitch a ride to Ireland, so he signed up to be a fireman, which would have been useful to have him stay on the ship. Well, yeah, because there was a fire on the <laughs> ship exactly. at the time. 
But uh, but John also John Coffee, amazing. Name. It really is, and John Coffee just noped out, and he's like, "Dude, I got to Queenstown. This was my thing. <laughs> I'll, I'll see y'all later." What a what a guy! What a guy you are, John Coffee. It's honestly, I I respect the hustle a little bit. He wanted to ride on a nice boat. He got the ride. <laughs> Wait a second, isn't John Coffey the name of Michael Clark Duncan's character in The Green Mile? Wait, is it? Okay. Yeah, no, it's it's 100% John Coffey. I wonder if that was a callback or if that was just an awesome coincidence. Awesome coincidence, awesome name. Uh, Stephen King was probably just like, his name was what now? Oh, that's going, that's going, <laughs> that's in, going a in a book. All right, so we've got John Coffey here. We've got the fire still burning. Uh, let's, let's go ahead and have the Titanic leave now. The Titanic has left... Uh, and this is on April 10th, 1912. And uh, as this, right before this happens, the second officer left. Uh, they switched out. In fact, the, the new captain took over, brought a second officer with him. And uh, the second officer took the keys with him that would let them access the binoculars. Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I know when his research is, but I keep watching his face to see the points that I found that he didn't because I am so excited about all this. No, no, no. I heard about the binoculars and my my first thought was just like, it's so many little things. It it's is. so many little things that just add up to fifteen hundred people drowning to death. <laughs> it right, and and it was so much of this. Uh, so, <laughs> the boat has has pushed off now. They've got people uh, still trying to put out this fire, and also this engine room and the coal room have got to be well over a hundred degrees now. But they've still got people working here. Uh, using this burning coal to stoke the engine. So uh, let's go ahead and move on to the bulkheads now, this brilliant design that had worked before. You've got these separate barriers up. Um, so if the hull is punctured, one of them is going to flood, uh, or maybe multiple if it's punctured in multiple places, but up to four uh, can be punctured and the boat will still stay up. Here's the problem, one of, of many. They didn't make the walls tall enough to reach the passenger deck. So if it floods above that level, it spills into uh, the, the next section. And not only that, but because it's kept in sections, instead of spacing out evenly across the boat, it's pulling the boat down on whatever side the puncture is in. This was, again, one of the things that, that would have been a fine design. It is what helped save the Olympic when it was hit. Um, but it just absolutely worked against them here. And yeah, just, a, I mean, five uh, bulkheads were punctured. So it might've been iffy either way, but ultimately that not, wall not being tall enough was a death sentence. Yeah, so pretty much it took on enough water in order to flood the other ones. So instead of just being like a container that can hold the water, it took on so much weight that it could then sink the ship. Right, which is, it, it, okay. is well, the, the ship was, was pretty much sinking either way, but it, it's what allowed the ship to eventually break and split uh, by pulling uh, down uh, one side first instead of just kind of pushing the whole thing down a little bit. Okay, I, I do want to focus on this part of it because I think it should be given uh, some, some time to really breathe. Um, this happened four days yes. into your... Can you imagine, like, people save... You save up, like, for months. You know, we're going to go on a boat, honey. And you, you get the money, you put you get a ticket, you bring your whole family on this boat because this is the height of luxury at the time. This is this is like the dream vacation. And four days into it, that's when it sinks. Like you didn't even get to enjoy all the the dinner options. <laughs> well, and, and it was so I mean, they, they obviously we've heard enough about the um, first, second, 
and third classes. And third class was not in great condition, but they, they, they weren't... Uh, ultimately, they were just trying to get to America. They were going to start a new life. Second and third were there uh, for a pleasure cruise. And uh, they, this did have some of the richest people in this world. It had um, Benjamin Guggenheim, who uh, you might know from the museum. Uh, <laughs> it, it's Oh, that Guggenheim? Yeah. It, yeah, oh, Guggenheim from, from the very famous museum. Right, yes. that's the one. Uh, Isidore and Ida Strauss, uh, who are the co- uh, Isidore is the co-owner of Macy's and a congressman, of course, uh, is May. And we've got Thomas Andrews, the architect of the Titanic. Um, here's what impressed me about, about Andrews is so that the ship hits the iceberg. They go get him after 20 minutes because they're so locked into this. It can't sink. And I was like, dude, you hit an iceberg. Adjust your thinking here. So they go and get Andrews. Uh, they take him below deck, and he's like, oh, no, this bitch is going to sink. <laughs> I just imagine him just running around, just like, no, 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 no. Don't, don't break, please. <laughs> he calls it pretty well. He says, you got 90 minutes. And they had about 90 minutes. So he was apparently a good architect, or at least being able to determine where all of his mistakes were. I don't know if your if your job is to build an unsinkable ship, and like the your claim to fame is that you can eyeball how fast it's going <laughs> to sink. I don't think you could be like a great architect. I, not not the best architect. A better architect would have kept it from sinking. Probably that's the goal. <laughs> a good architect can tell you you got ninety minutes before this bitch goes down. <laughs> Andrews is, yeah, what brings up a good bird? Andrews is okay at best, I guess, is the, is the bottom line here. He's a bad architect. He's a great guesstimator. <laughs> so they're out, they're out in the ocean. Let's go ahead and back up to before they actually hit this iceberg. And they are getting warnings here from other ships. Uh, there are also two guys in the radio room. So one can be on at all times. One's sleeping, one's working on it. Uh, this is the most uh, magnificent, luxurious ship in the world, and they've got two guys in a closet uh, taking on all of the Morse code here, which is largely transmissions to and from the passengers. Uh, but they're also getting ice warnings, uh, which require a specific code for it to be passed up. Uh, so I think, what, three of the seven warnings actually made it up to the captain? Right, because they're supposed to be marked like a special thing that says, like, the this means the captain yeah. needs to get it. And that, like, those initials, what was it? MSG? MSG, yeah. MSG. Uh, so Madison Square Garden, of course. That's the uh, one. <laughs> uh, so MSG, they didn't mark these like, hey, you're headed straight towards an iceberg. MSG. Right. They were just like, hey, you're headed straight to an iceberg. They got that and said, the captain, captain doesn't need to hear this. Right. And the thing is, I mean, it's an ocean. There's some ice, um, but here is where, where the, the big one goes wrong here. Um, they get a warning at the same time they're calling land, which is 400 miles away. So they have it set to the highest frequency to be able to reach this far. Uh, and then they get a message from a ship that's just ahead of them following the same path saying we have to stop because of icebergs. But it comes in a low frequency, which means it is blaring through their headphones. Uh, and they're working hard. So they're pissed off and they say, shut up, we're busy. And the guy shuts up. <laughs> hey, 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 guys. Hey, 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 guys, hey, can you quit it? Oh, oh yeah, fine. Yeah, whatever. That's it. He, he forget, shuts up. Forget and he... I'm here. Forget I'm here. I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> That's it. He went to bed. 
he sent them the warning. He said, he said, there's an iceberg, uh, but they, you know, I mean, I, sh I know we've all put headphones in and had the volume set wrong when you turn on our music. It was that except for their job. I'm just saying I'm not great with confrontation, <laughs> but like, I'm not so bad with confrontation that like, I would just let a thousand people die <laughs> to avoid it. Well, he sent the message. They got the message of there's an iceberg. Uh, so when they said, yeah, we're busy, he's like, okay, well, I told them there's an iceberg. Uh, <laughs> so they think I said my piece. Yeah. <laughs> so so this is the uh, the the guy working the room in the California and he goes to bed, which is unfortunately later on when they try and call the California for help. <laughs> Oh man, how how do you think he felt when he woke up? It's I mean it's not his fault. It's, it's not his fault. But, I, I but do you think he like felt bad or do you think he was like a little bit vindicated? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I like oh I tell me to shut up, will you? So exactly. So th this is a a again just another where it went wrong. Uh, and here's one of the other ones. They've got uh, really calm seas, and they're moving quickly in part because they want to get there early. But also because, as we talked about, there is just enough coal to get to America, and it's burning. So they've got to use it. Yeah, they have an uncontrolled fire that's burning through all their coal. And also, uh, I feel like so much of this boat was just, like, in competition with its sister ship, which, like, siblings, am I right? But, like, <laughs> they were trying to beat, like, the Olympics' time. Absolutely. Which, which is part of the reason why they were going so fast through an iceberg field. Right. And this was the one where I started looking into it a bit more because it was definitely competition, but the, the captain wasn't actually the, the captain was the one that was uh, captaining the Olympic when it was hit. So based on those two records, you wouldn't think he's that good, but he's supposed to be good. Uh, it's just he's got to get there quick. He's got the richest people in the world. He's got a fire, which means they can either get there fast or they cannot get there. Uh, so he, he goes for it through an he ice settled for He settled for option B, not get there. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly what happened. And then we've got the unusually calm ocean, which is now known to be caused by ice packs. And here's the thing with ice packs. They can cause a Fata Morgana, which is... Sure, tell me what that is. <laughs> <laughs> it's the uh, mirage that you can occasionally see in the desert. But it's basically the rays of light are bent when they pass through air layers of different temperatures. Uh, normally, uh, warm air exists in a clear, separate layer above cooler air. If that's reversed, you've got this thermal inversion. It creates an at atmospheric duct, which basically acts like a refracting lens. Uh, this is one of the things I found most interesting. I imagine a couple of you have checked out. I'm coming right back to it, I promise. So you've got inverted as well as corrected images. You've got things appearing upside down basically enough that you could also kind of see the back in front of what's in uh what's actually in front of you so they see clear seas instead of an iceberg and they have no binoculars to confirm this so i'm i'm just trying to wrap my head so there was a mirage that was just like you're in the clear and then as they got closer it was like surprise iceberg exactly and they that, weren't that was... able and they weren't able to use binoculars because the people who had the binoculars just forgot to give them the binoculars key. That's exactly it. And I would think, and, you and know also, what? sorry, one more thing. Please. Uh, when they realized their binoculars were locked up and like they were in like the binocular cabinet, uh, they were just like, well, we're, they didn't even try to break in. Like it seems like, I know, such like, like it an cannot important be that piece setting. of equipment. <laughs> Here's the thing. For the most part, 
and this is an, another one where I found where it's like, yes, it, it went wrong, but not totally at fault. For the most part, binoculars are used to confirm something specific. You use your bare eyesight to look out in front of you. You're going to see a lot, uh, a much broader view. And then if you start to notice something, you take out the binoculars. By the time they noticed something, it was too late to do anything about it. Okay, you're being very forgiving of the people that sank the Titanic here, <laughs> Andrew. It's because the problem was, was that there were a lot of people at fault in specific things. And it, it was just all, all of this went wrong. Any one of it going wrong, you think this probably isn't a big deal. So uh, now they've, let's just go ahead and skip ahead. They, they've hit an iceberg. <laughs> they, they've hit an iceberg and uh, the ship is flooding and they take 20 minutes before they decide, oh yeah, this is going to, this is going to be a thing. Uh, we should probably get people in lifeboats, maybe. <laughs> so the first lifeboat is lowered one hour and five minutes after the collision, and it is about half full because there were no lifeboat drills. Once again, you're such an optimist who refers to the lifeboat as half full. <laughs> it's, I, yes, half empty is probably much more accurate for this yeah, situation. Yeah, when it, when it comes to people surviving a, a nautical disaster, I would definitely say that lifeboat was half empty. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm good. I'm glad we've injected some philosophy into the situation here. So, look, they, they've hit the iceberg. They're going too fast. They try to turn. They try to stop. Uh, they, they, they can't do it. They're a giant ship. And here's one of the things I was surprised to learn. Uh, again, it's just the human reaction. They hit an iceberg. Everyone wants to know what happened. So they all open their portholes and then they get called up saying we have to evacuate and they leave the portholes open. 12 open portholes would have doubled the damage in terms of the rate of flooding and hundreds were left open. So everyone went to their windows, they opened their windows and then they left them open for more water to pour into the boat. Exactly. Incredible. 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 Every every bad thing that could have possibly gone wrong went wrong with this, is what it sounds it was, like. It, it was the ultimate. I, I was really, when I started researching this, I looked like, okay, but what's the point where here's what went wrong? And it quickly became my favorite. I thought, this is perfect for this show because everything was a point of where here's what went wrong. It just kept going wrong over and over again. You know, one guy's steak was burnt, too, and he was just like, this vacation sucks. <laughs> and then the next day, the boat sank. He's like, here it goes again. Only, only to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, in fact, the people uh, did not handle it well. They, uh, some tried to flood the lifeboats. Eventually, the people uh, in charge were holding them back with guns. It was reported that at least 27 people were shot and killed to prevent them from flooding the lifeboats. But the lifeboats kept being lowered without being full. They didn't know how many people went in there. They, they got some in there. They got the rich people in there. Well, they had one like, boat. Okay. That, one boat was just filled with corpses of the people they shot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, they, they were just loading them up and tossing them out. And like, you know what? This is probably fine. So, look, we, we all know what happens at the end of the Titanic. The Titanic sinks. Far too many people died. Eventually, a ship shows up. They, uh, the Carpathia rescues the first passengers hours later. Uh, rescue 705 uh over a thousand people die. Uh, here is my favorite part of this, the, the one uplifting part of the story. The uh, ocean was below freezing. The survival rate was less than 15 minutes in the water. 
but the ship's baker tread water for two hours until he was rescued. And he said he had just had so much whiskey, he didn't feel the cold. That is that is my hero. What's his name? I want that guy's name. I don't have a name. All I have is Ship's Baker. Uh, uh, but the Ship's Baker... He probably is, is didn't the... even know his name when they found him. He was that hammered. <laughs> so Ship's Baker is going to be the hero. I mean, there were there were stories of, of heroes, too. Uh, Isidore and Ida Strauss, who I mentioned earlier, both help people. Uh, Ida refused to board the lifeboat. Uh, because she wanted to stay with her husband, uh, which I thought was very sweet. Benjamin Guggenheim, actually, he um, helped, it would be a better story for his wife, he helped his mistress <laughs> to the boat. <laughs> you know, but he, he left his wife on the ship, but his mistress, got, <laughs> he got her on the his, lifeboat. His wife was not on the boat, but he helped women and children into lifeboats, and then he saw there wasn't going to be enough room. So he, uh, he, he took his valet and he said, uh, all right, well, we're going to die. We're going to die like gentlemen. So they went to their rooms. They took off their life vests. They changed into their evening wear. And they were last seen in the foyer, uh, grand, uh, foyer grand staircase, drinking brandy and smoking cigars. They just closed the doors behind them. <laughs> I just, I want to be that, I want to be that graceful in like the sight of just like, oh, I'm going to die. Okay, well. I'm going to die looking good and like put on my nice clothes, get out cigars, hang out with my bros. And I'm just like safe in the knowledge that my mistress is on the lifeboat. <laughs> I think this is the first time that a, that a man's personal valet was called his bro. <laughs> hey, look, if they both got dressed up in their Sunday best and, you know just, started, and just started binge drinking and cigar smoking while the boat went down, I'm going to say that's a bro right there. <laughs> it was. He stood no, by him. He did a good there job. There are no masters and valets uh, <laughs> when a boat is sinking. Everyone's bros at that point. <laughs> That's when makes is such a good point here. So look, we did a lot, a lot of research on this, but I'm going to skip the actual singing because you guys have seen so much here. You know the numbers. You, you you've seen the times, and that part is just a bummer without anything interesting. It hit an iceberg, and then it went down because it's a giant iceberg that <laughs> just tore through a boat. So it sunk, people were rescued, and uh, most of them weren't. And that is the story of here's what went wrong for the Titanic. You're wrong, because there is actually an, another chapter to this tale. I'm so uh, excited for this part. So they did not learn their lessons well from this. Uh, originally, they were just like, they had too few restrictions on how boats work, and then they decided to overcorrect. Uh, soon after the Titanic sank, uh, Herbert Hoover, in an act of serendipity uh, so fortuitous, I'm not even going to make the obvious joke here, but Hoover signed the Seaman Act, and <laughs> it pretty much said, like, hey, now we're going to put as many lifeboats as we can fucking muster onto every ship that carries large amounts of passengers. So there is a boat in Chicago, you know, where, where we are. Uh, right. They would do like Sunday cruises. They would they would go on. Uh, people would get really dressed up after church. They would get on the Eastland, which was the name of the ship. They would go out into the lake, and they would probably go over to like Michigan or something like that. It was just like a nice little sightseeing cruise. Uh, but the Seaman Act required them to load this thing up with as many uh, lifeboats as they possibly could. So one Sunday. Everyone's getting on. It's about three years after the Titanic, okay? The Titanic was fucked up so badly that three years later, it is causing disasters. Right. So three years later, it's a Sunday afternoon. People are getting on the Eastland uh, in order to have their nice little uh, post-church uh, 
tour of the city, and all of a sudden, people just see something on one side of the boat. I wasn't able to find out exactly what it was, but people like just start going to one side of the boat to go look at something. And because they added all of these lifeboats, the weight was completely thrown off. So when everyone goes to one side of the boat, the boat just slammed upside down. Jeez. 800 people died. And this wasn't out when they were out on the lake. This was on the river. There's land on either side of them. But because of how quickly the boat flipped, everyone was stuck under pretty much. And so 800 people died in an inland boating accident because of the restrictions that, and uh, regulations that were implemented after the Titanic. The Britannica building, uh, named after the encyclopedia, you know, that was their, that was sure. their offices. Uh, they had a giant, uh, it was like one of the biggest like, kitchens. And back then, uh, they didn't have refrigerators. They just had a giant icebox. So what they had to do was they were pretty much pulling people out of the river and for weeks... They were just shoving bodies into this cafeteria freezer. Uh, oh, my God. Because Chicago's all meat packing plants and all sure. that stuff. We have giant freezers for days, pretty much. Uh, so all these people got thrown into that uh, freezer. It was the worst inland boating disaster of all time has not been beaten. And that Britannica building is now the Whirlpool building where my wife works. And it's constantly <laughs> just like... There are ghosts here. This place is super haunted. <laughs> wow. And so, statistically, I mean, I... statistically, I don't doubt that at least some of those people are now ghosts in that building. 800 people died. 800 people died, and in a way that would absolutely piss me off. Like, I mean, the Chicago River is not that wide. Like, it's, it's narrow enough that they dye it green every year for St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> it is not a giant body of water, but, like, they loaded up with so many lifeboats that the second people went on to one side, it immediately listed, which means tilt to one side uh, in boating terms. We're very right. nautical in this. <laughs> and it just flipped and just people, eight, like, over 800 people drowned. It is, it is one of the worst boating disasters of all time caused by them trying to cor overcorrect there not being enough lifeboats on the Titanic. What is insane is how often in history we do this was that we just learn something really specifically. And instead of doing anything useful with it, we're like, oh, okay. So more lifeboats. Is that, that it? Just more so boats. That, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't the fact that the boat was built poorly. It wasn't the fact that they didn't lock, unlock the binoculars. It was purely, they're just like the life. It was lifeboats, lifeboats. Great. We've solved the problem and we're not going to think about this anymore. Right. <laughs> so yeah, this was three years later. And uh, did they change anything after that? Was that law still in place? I mean, I'm not sure. Look, I'm going to be honest. I kind of stopped after that point because I was just like, Hey honey, that building that was called you're haunted. Yeah, yeah, your haunted <laughs> building that was directly related to the Titanic. Did you know that? <laughs> well, based on history, I think we could assume that law is still in place in some form now and probably not helping that many people. So Titanic, yeah, it, it uh, continued to cause harm for so long afterwards it was just an absolute it was just so many small disasters. So that is the story of the Titanic, or at least the parts that you hopefully have not heard about yet, about all of the things where it went wrong. However, we do try to be optimists on this show, as Andrew's half-full lifeboat comment <laughs> uh, demonstrates. So we have a segment called In Their Defense. That's right. So Andrew, 
please try to defend the Titanic sinking <laughs> to me. Here's the thing. There were plenty of mistakes that were just unforgivable. It's, this was just a bad decision. But there was also a lot where it was actually well-informed people uh, making what seemed like a rational decision. It was just so much that went wrong. It couldn't be stopped. If the Titanic had made it to America, there is no point where they're going to dissect it and say, oh, they really should have fixed this. There are plenty of things where it turns out okay, and they go, oh, this was a mistake. We, we shouldn't have done it this way. We can do it better next time. In fact, going back to the chronometer, after he perfected that, he said it's not good enough. It took him another 20 years to get it right, even though it worked. With this one, if it had gotten to America, they would have said, this is great. We're going to use this as a model. We're going to keep it going. Uh, but it didn't. Everything just compiled. All the things that could have went wrong did. Uh, and it's there are plenty of people that you can blame for uh, wanting the money. I still think Ismay is a dick. Uh, he wasn't the worst guy in the world, but he's not a great guy. But uh, ultimately, they tried to do something that hadn't been done before here. And they did it with the best information they could at hand. And it just absolutely bit them in their ass. So, just to clarify... Your defense of the Titanic was that it failed so catastrophically on the first time this was ever done that therefore you do not have other mini Titanic disasters happening for the next like 10, 15 years. Oh, no, I'm not. I mean, I'm sure we're going to continue to make so many stupid mistakes. I don't think it did that much for the future. I think it changed some things. I, I think it's just more that the design wasn't so terrible. They would have noticed it in retrospect if it hadn't sunk. Fair. I think they would have kept it going and it probably would have been okay most of the time. It was just everything went wrong here. It just takes one Titanic for you to really take a good hard look at yourself. <laughs> I mean, ideally you can notice these issues before you kill a thousand people. I mean, but... in a perfect world, but who amongst <laughs> us is perfect? You're really letting perfect be the enemy of good here, Andrew. God, I hate the in their defense section. I'm so glad we have it, but I have never felt good about it. <laughs> All right, and that is the, what, what was the good thing that you talked about? The maritime chronometer? The, the, yes, the, the marine chronometer is what we're going to cover in our next four-hour episode when Wen hangs up on me and I just keep going. All right, well, that was actually, that was in, I learned some things. I learned some things on this one. How, how'd it you, was an how'd interesting you one. I felt great. I mean, I had a lot of fun researching this one. I'm glad I got to talk about the marine chronometer for no reason except to add a positive to an absolute disaster here. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, this is a good time. So uh, we're going to be back next week, and we're going to have our first guest. So excited. We've got Jay Jordan on to talk about the worst in the X-Men series, and he is about the best expert on this that I know. How about you, Wen? He is an X-Men encyclopedia. He is also a very funny comic. You may have seen him on The Tonight Show, Comedy Central. Uh, he's headlining a podcast for Grinder right now. Uh, truly just a fantastic comedian. Really great guy. Y'all are going to love this episode, so make sure you come in next week. And guys, it's been a lot of fun. You have a lot of fun today, Andrew? I had so much fun, Wayne. Hell yeah. All right, so uh, we're signing off. Y'all have a good day, and... Talk to you later, Andrew. Talk to you later, Wen. Bye. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. 
Major League Baseball is back in action, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. With the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Horry. See what they had to say on what it will be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts.